The second reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're reading from verse 6 to verse 11. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that Israelites could not look steady at the face of Moses because of its glory fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is a ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory that which lasts? That is the word of the Lord. Well, we're going to deal this morning uh, with this issue of what is the actual benefit of a new covenant. Well, last Sunday we had a, certainly a close look at how, uh, how we live our lives, or rather do our lives actually reflect uh, the faith that we stated that we have. Paul has spoken of a minister's competence, and indeed also how we do not have a competence in ourselves but our ability to minister rests in the strength and the provisions of the Lord. Effectively telling us that we must, to be an effective minister or an effective Christian, we need to live a humble dependence on our Lord Jesus Christ in all things. But let us pray for wisdom. Let us pray that we will receive the truth and it will be revealed to us well and truly this morning. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come before you to ask that you will, by your Spirit, that you will open this word to us, that we will understand it, that we will take it personally, that it's become a lesson for us, even though you wrote it to the church in Corinth. Lord, guide us, we ask, and bless us with insight. In Jesus' name, amen. See, whereas verses 1 to 6 looked at the person. Paul now switches to the purpose, the message that is to proclaim. In verse 6 he said, he's made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Well, how did that and how did he make us competent again? The Lord gave us his word and then he gave us his Holy Spirit and reveal the deep truths of the word that we may understand and share, enabling indeed also to teach and guide us. Not teaching and training to the instructions of the law of old, but to the new covenant, call it the new safe deal that we were given. Not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So as we move from the character of the messenger to the message, 
it is important to understand for all of us that if we distort the message, we really don't have a message at all. Just, just think of this. Just think of a piece of IKEA furniture. You have all the instructions, you have all the bits and pieces, everything is there, but they left out of this pack that you brought home one tiny, tiny little thing called an Allen key. Without it, nothing makes sense, does it? It doesn't take much for the whole thing to fall apart. Leave something out of the message as well and indeed add something to it and also none of it is going to make any sense or at least not to any man or woman that has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because he will only deal with the truth. Now we all know and or we should know that the message is always one of grace and mercy. One of a deep love of God for his people and a message with an eternal promise given by God and a God that cannot lie. Paul in his day had to continuously, over the time and time again, had to fight the Judaizers, following him around, in fact, from town to town and teaching them that the salvation was through Christ. But, they added, they also had to adhere to the Mosaic law it's basically what we today term as a gospel plus. Makes no sense. And this is not something that has gone away either, by the way. We're 2,000 years on, and this still happens. We still have today churches that will teach that you have to do your bit to earn your way into heaven. That's what Paul is referring to in, in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. It is in Christ alone that we are saved, that a person can be saved. Paul now explains plainly why it's so important to keep this message pure and keep to the truth. In verse 7. Now if the ministry that brought death was given, was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Paul, of course, here is referring to what we had read to us in chapter 34 of Exodus. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Must have been a sight to behold. Each time Moses had entered into the presence of God, his face was almost, you could call it, recharged. He came out with more glory and he would put on a veil to shield them. And as Paul says, fading though it was, the ministry of the Spirit and his glory, of course, will never fade. There is no fading. The message spoken and taught by Moses were to bring about change. Change in the people that heard the message. It was to have the effect of the people to reflect on the greatness of God and to live lives that would honour that God 
And to some extent, that is what happened. But then it would also, it would fade as well. Their natural sinfulness would resurface again and again. And the memory, the memory of what happened to them as they walked through the desert and the wonderful provisions of God faded from their memory and they did not teach their children to fear the Lord. It happened all very quickly, by the way. And as we know from reading through the Old Testament, the Lord keeps giving them opportunity after opportunity to change and return to him, but again, to no avail. Which is what Paul's alluding to when he writes in verse 6, none, uh, none, not of the letter of the Spirit, but the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Old Testament serves us all by giving us a true indication of the state of our hearts and minds. One of sinfulness and rebelliousness. In other words, it condemns us. In the same way, the New Testament and the teaching we get will reveal Jesus to us. But as I said so often, it will also reveal you to you, who you are. Paul says that in the very next verse, 9. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is a ministry that brings righteousness? The Old Testament did not make anyone righteous. Sure, they did have the days of the year when the priest would sacrifice animals uh, at the altar uh, for the sins of the people. Uh, and they did, at that time, do pretty well what was asked of the Lord but we must never forget that this sacrifice was only part of what God had given them to be obedient with. The rest was to live a life each day according to the Ten Commandments as he was given to them at Mount Sinai. And that we know also they did not manage to live up to that standard. Effectively, the sacrifices atoning for sins may have lasted possibly at best maybe a minute until they then sinned again. So, not so with the new covenant. In verse 10, For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. This is part of Paul's battle with the Judaizers. The only part of the Old Testament law that serves to save people is the revealing of their sinfulness and their absolute inability to meet those standards and therefore, they will also realize their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the Old Testament comes in and works with the New Testament. The Judaizers wanted them to continue adhering to the old traditions because there is profits to be made. Just as the temple priests and leaders had made profits from all the trading that was going on in the temple yards. This is an ongoing battle for us even today. We are told, and people misuse the word, when they say that without good deeds, you cannot be saved. And yes, we know that James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this very thing in his letters. In chapter 122, he wrote, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Certainly. True. But you do those things that the word says not because, not because you are going to be saved but because you are saved. 
It is a response to salvation rather than something you do to be saved. Just in the same way as you love Jesus. You love him because he loved you first. You did not choose Jesus. He chose you. You did knock on his door. He knocked on yours. A theological but also an ethical question is always if you find a man on a threshold of life do you give him the food or the word? You can ponder that question in your heart. Which is the more important for this man? We battle something today called social justice. It is where good deeds takes precedence over godly living. We have leaders that will adopt worldly values to appease the world and thinking this will make all those people that they appease listen to the message they want to preach, forgetting that they've already distorted the very message they were supposed to share. It doesn't belong. It is an add to. Peter had done the very same thing in Antioch. And Paul, Paul had rebuked him severely for that in Galatians 2.11. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. We can only guess here why Paul is using the name Cephas. But it was probably a name that indicated because not a little bit earlier in the same chapter in Galatians, he had called him Peter. But he's distinguishing now that Peter is actually no longer the Peter that's supposed to be the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something in the words that Paul uses here. Certainly he was a true disciple of Jesus. He was an apostle of Jesus. But his behavior in Antioch did not reflect that. Paul had, after all, used Peter in verse 7 in the very same chapter. You and I should also heed the warning here, by the way. It is for us, men like Peter and others appointed by the Lord throughout the Bible, can falter and slide. And what about you and me? Don't we do the same? You and I have been chosen. We have been appointed by Jesus to be his. But that does not mean you are sinless or have a achieved righteousness at this point in your life. We have not in any way achieved any of this in our own right. And that's what Paul so strenuously wants the church in Corinth to understand. That's what Paul so strenuously wants the Woodford church to understand. Any righteousness we may have today is a free gift from God by his mercy and by his grace Alone, It is what the true message that we are supposed to live in. It is only ever a message of mercy and grace. The old covenant was won by the law. The new covenant is won by grace in Christ alone. In verse 11 we also read, And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? The old was a running to a timeline, came to an end. The new covenant is running for eternity. It is for everlasting. I did start today with a question, what is the benefit to us of the new covenant? Well, there's lots. It's eternal. It's anchored in grace. It is a promise by God. 
It is not ever reliant on you. It is a free gift from the Lord. And you can't buy it and you can't achieve it. And the big one, it's life-giving. It gives us eternal life. The new covenant will not condemn you when you are in Christ, when you are among his elect. In Romans, we're clearly told that in 11.7. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened, lost. And in Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Leads to godliness. Furthermore, the new covenant produces righteousness. Sinlessness. Notice the ongoing aspect of all this. It is an ongoing sanctification for you and I that eventually will result in full righteousness. When we stand before the Lord in heaven or when he returns to bring us home, whichever comes first. So the big point of today is this. It is not really about, it's not really about the messenger. It's always about the message. In verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. This is in Philippians. Paul is in jail writing this. But out of, uh, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice. He's in chains, in a dungeon, and he rejoices because the word is preached. The message is his focus. It was never about Paul, and it was never about any other prophets in the whole of the Bible, and it's never about you and I, ever. It is always, always, ever about the message, and the message is about Jesus Christ and none other. When you wake up in the morning, is that truth on your mind? When you go to bed at night, have you reflected on Christ in your day? Let me conclude today with one question that I hope will mean something to you when you reread this passage at another time possibly. Are you and is your life a reflection on the message of life and hope Indeed, are you a reflection of Christ Jesus? If you are a stated believer with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those questions are going to live with you and need to be answered each and every day as we read the Bible and come to know the truth even better. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we come to you to thank you for this day's word. We thank you for what Paul was given by you, that he wrote down that we may have it here today, that it may teach us, teach us that we need to focus on the word, the message, your son,
that it is all about Jesus Christ and it is in Christ alone that we are saved. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and we ask for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.